If you have your Bibles open, please open them to Acts chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the chair in front of you. Uh, that's going to be on page 538 of that blue Bible. Uh, if you don't have one at home, please take that one. Bring it home. Read it. Start with the Gospel of John. And as you find your page there, let me ask you a few questions. What is your response to someone getting ahead in life? What is your response to when someone is maybe getting something that you think is kind of reserved just for you? You know that thing that made you special? Maybe you're the only redhead, and then suddenly there's a bunch of them, <laughs> right? That was something I thought about when I moved here to London five or so years ago. I'm used to being the only redhead, and then it's like in London, there's like everyone's a redhead almost. It's amazing. But for your, but even maybe for a parent, you know, you think your child is unique because every parent thinks that their kid is special, right? And then suddenly there's another kid who, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, and suddenly uh, you have another child who's maybe better at your child at that said thing. Maybe they're faster or can read better or can speak better or whatever it may be. What is that feeling? That feeling is called jealousy. And it happens when you feel like someone is getting something that's just for you, that makes you special. Last week, Pastor Chris reminded us of how God is sovereign over the means and the ends of salvation. It was something that we were reminded about just this moment, a few moments ago with, with Matt going through our catechism today. And this week we will see how God, uh, see how Peter now has to give an account for the things that we just saw happen in the, over the last two weeks. He, along with the other brothers and sisters, will have to, uh, their worldviews and their traditions put up against God's word as God continues to grow his kingdom. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 18. The chapters are the big, ver the big numbers and the verses are the little numbers. So follow along with me. Now the apostle and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began to explain it to them in order. I was in the city of Yopah praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill it. But I said, by no means, Lord. For nothing common or unclean has, even, has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And all was drawn up again into heaven. In verse 11, And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinctions. And these six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. 
And he told us how he had been, seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Yopa and bring Simon, who is called Peter, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, and you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we're coming together to continue to worship you. So I pray that with our ears that we would worship as we begin to see more of who you are through your word. Lord, I want to preach so that you are glorified. And Lord, there is no possible way I can do this on my own. So by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. And God, I pray that you would use this sermon to bring glory to your name above all things. That you would remind your people of the joy of their salvation and that you would bring salvation to the lost. And amen. In verses 1 to 3, we see how Peter is called to account. He has to give an account. In verse 1, we see throughout, which means the word of the Lord has increased extensively in every direction throughout all of Judea. And it's amazing how Luke kind of puts these little timbits of there to say, look, God's promise, Jesus' command is happening. It's going, it's spreading throughout all of Judea at this moment. And they heard, and by word of mouth, the brothers and the sisters of the early church heard about all these things that happened. And it's amazing, right? In a church, we have something, uh, there's often something called, I remember growing up with this, it's called the grapevine, right? And some of you are smirking right now because you know exactly what I'm talking about. This was before cell phones. This is just a few days. And all throughout Judea, they were, they were able to hear all that God had done or what had happened. What had happened and what they're hearing what happened begins to get flushed out in the few comments that come. But these brothers and sisters were a group of Jewish Christians that probably still thought that Gentiles, so those people who weren't ceremonial or, 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 or ethnically Jewish, had to first become converted to Judaism which means that circumcision and following the Mosaic law was needed. So there's a group of people who still think that there's something that somebody has to do in order to make themselves right before God. And that's what happens here. Now, what exactly had they heard? I think by the reactions in this next verse, just that Peter had been hanging out with people that he shouldn't have been that culturally wasn't supposed to happen. I think it's funny how the, the, the focus is not based upon what God is, but their complaints are coming through something else. It's a reminder of how bad gossip can be and how God judges those in habitual gossip the same way he does any other sin. But how do we know this? The people didn't ask questions about the salvation of the Gentiles. They didn't ask anything about the Gentiles. All they asked, all they made was a statement. They made a statement about Peter. 
hanging out with people he shouldn't. Common people. But they've heard that the Gentiles, those who weren't Jews, they've also heard that they had received. They had received the word of God meaning they have accepted and believed the word of God that Peter had told them. For Luke, as he's writing this Acts, you'll see these two things coming through. Coming to faith in Jesus Christ and receiving the word of God are the same thing. To believe in Jesus Christ is to believe in what he said of himself in his word. When someone says, I love Jesus, I often, depending upon the conversation, I say, well, what do you mean by that? So when I read a testimony, or I hear the story of how God is working in someone's life, and they suddenly just say, at some moment, I just realized that this this book is not just a book, but it's the Word of God. I go, praise God. Because that cannot happen without the work of the Holy Spirit. Those words out of someone's mouth cannot happen without the Holy Spirit. So even in our statement of faith as a church, it starts with this statement about what we believe about the Bible and the inerrant and fallible Word of God. And that's important. Why it starts that way? Because every other thing that we say comes from that. So when the Gentiles come and they're receiving the Word of God, they're believing the Jesus that has been proclaimed in the Gospel. And this is only possible by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. He gives a new heart that enables a person to believe that truth. So we see more and more as Luke begins to get this account. Again, this is the third time we've heard this story. The social barriers between Jew and Gentile are now gone. Wetherington, another commentator, said it this way, that the whole new ethnic group involving the multitude of pagan nations has come into picture. In verse 2, but now Peter, as he, he goes up to Jerusalem, he's faced with charges by those who are still considering things that God has made clean, unclean. This is the circumcision party, and this party continues to come up. This won't be the first time we see it, and it keeps going is a party that comes up a few times in the New Testament and even again in Acts 15. And they are a group of people that require Gentiles to be circumcised and to follow the law of Moses. And even though they were saved by God's grace and not their own works, they were requiring others to get to do something in order to be saved. And that's the problem. And that will be even Paul's argument in Galatians and Romans. It just keeps going. The ceremonial parts of the law were to point to their distinctness as a people, which was to show God's grace in choosing them, not to create a better-than-you mentality. So now, why does this no longer matter? Because the law pointed to Christ. And Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law perfectly, perfectly. He was the perfect lamb who could take away the sins of the world. Now God has replaced a physical circumcision with a circumcision of the heart that comes through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and who seals those who believe with himself. 
So you can see the division that is being made here, right? The question isn't, I wonder if this belief is true. That's coming from these people. But Peter, how could you eat and accept hospitality from these unclean people? What was a private struggle was now a very public defense. And it's funny because Jesus was accused of much the same thing when he was being criticized for eating with sinners in Luke 5. So they had become so fixed, this group of people had become so fixed on their traditions that they were more concerned with Peter breaking their traditions rather than the salvation of these Gentiles. And just as Peter's worldview on what it meant to be holy was being torn down and rebuilt, so it was for these people too. So we have to be patient. So Peter gives his defense to the accusations given, and we are finding here is that our traditions aren't in themselves wrong. Don't ever hear me say traditions are wrong. We all have traditions, right? Like Christmas trees must be put up a certain way. They must at a certain time. But unless we find them up against God's word, then we have a situation. So Peter, in verses 4 to 17, gives an explanation to the charge. Peter explains to the circumcision party all that God had done through the supernaturally bringing him to Cornelius and his family so that they too could hear the gospel. In, in verses 4 to 17, and Peter goes on to say that, that he has spoken the gospel, that the people heard the gospel, and that as they believed the gospel, the Holy Spirit poured down on them and began to indwell them, manifesting himself in the way, the same way that happened with the apostles. So in verses 4 to 11, Peter recounts all that he happened to him. This is the third time that Luke brings this up. And again, if someone keeps repeating something, it gives us a reason to just ignore it, right? No. It means listen to it. It's important. There's importance here. So let us not, again, I know it's been three weeks in a row, but let us not quickly run over it again. And we will see this over and over again in the New Testament in Acts, Ephesians, Philippians, Romans, Galatians address this one question, which is being addressed here, is how is somebody saved? How does one become a Christian? So he recounts the vision again. And once that vision was done, three men from Caesarea showed up where, where they were, were, sorry, showed up to where they were sent to go find Peter and to get Peter to come and talk to this man and Cornelius and his family, his whole household. And in verse 12, the Spirit tells him to go for a man whose work of ministry, what Peter is saying here has great weight to it. When he comes and says, hey, look, the Holy Spirit told me to do this, most of these people that are listening to him right now, God used Peter to be saved. There's weight behind this. He's not saying I went all willy-dilly into this person's house. He was saying he was commanded to do it. It wasn't me that went. It was God himself who told me to go, he's saying. 
But Peter's applying what was just told him in this dream, and he was able to implement that, what he did right away. He made no distinctions, meaning that Peter is no longer to make a separation between Jews and Gentiles anymore. Peter was obedient and, and worked against his biases, and Peter was asked to do something that he didn't want to do. It would have been easy for him to rationalize this away. Because let's be honest, how many things have you rationalized away, let's say this week? I'm not going to say today, even though we all know there's something. Something that we should have done, but we rationalized it away. He could have simply said, if we remember, he was hungry, right? He could have said it was just, you know, hunger pains that he felt, not the spirit of God working within him. It was indigestion, right, Lord? I don't have to go. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit for a second because I think it's important to see how he guides his people. Uh, one person put it this way, we need to read the Bible employing proper rules of interpretation. Sometimes I think we come and we say, well, I, I don't feel like it or I don't feel at peace with it or, or whatever it may be, whatever you're, you're saying that you use. We need to be people of the word. We need to seek the advice of counsel of godly friends who open the word with us. And we need to ensure that we are walking diligently in godly paths ourselves. You know, someone once came up to me and said, I just don't feel at peace right now with what I'm doing in my life. And I looked at them and I was like, could it not be because you're not living into the glory of God at this moment? Maybe that's why you're not at peace? didn't like that very much. This does not mean that God never guides by cre directly creating an impression within us. And Pastor Chris showed us, tell, told us a story uh, last week about an evangelist who felt the need to stop the car and get out and preach to nobody, he thought. No, we need not go that far, but all impressions need to be tested by the rigor of God's word. Our feelings and our hunches can't have a chronicle significance whatsoever, meaning that what we feel doesn't trump what God's word says. Christians should not burden the conscience of others based on their own impressions of the Holy Spirit's guidance either. There are far too many reasons to believe that the remaining power of sin is still within us and the subtlety of demonic assaults from outside us can seriously distort our evaluation of impressions of God's guidance, meaning we need to be in the word. So do we need to wait for a message from the Holy Spirit before we go and talk to someone about the gospel? Do I need to wait until I feel that I feel good about it? Well, no, because God's word has already told us to go. He's already said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded for you. Then Peter comes along and he says, hey, look, I'm seeking to be obedient to God. The Holy Spirit has told me this, and six brothers also accompanied me. And it's important First, because I thought it was kind of funny, because he totally just threw them under the bus. But witness is important with an axe. 
I saw this with my own eyes. So Peter is saying, I saw this with my own eyes, but I'm not the only one. There's six other guys. There's six other people who were with me who saw this. And you can imagine what is happening. Maybe they're in the house or at the temple square in Jerusalem, and Peter is surrounded by not the happiest people right now. And this is important. It's not just, what, it's not just based on his word, but also these six others. This adds an important theme of eyewitness to the Bible. Even in this previous chapter, Peter uses his eyewitness of the message he preached to Cornelius. He talks about how I saw this with my own eyes, the resurrected Jesus. And now he uses the same thing to give proof to what God is doing within these Gentile people. So in obedience, they entered the man's house without distinction. So in verses 3 to 14, it's 13 to 14, Peter says how these three men ended up in Yopa and were here, and it was God's will who did it all. God sends these three people to go and get a man who will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Cornelius was saved when he believed in Jesus and received the spirits. And as a man that was not living in the Old Testament time that looked forward to a promise, he was living in the time where the promise had been fulfilled, he must hear the message, he must repent, and he must believe. Romans 10, 10 to 14 says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So what is this message? It is a message that will save them. And what will save them? Repentance and faith. Repentance that saves is believing repentance. So Cornelius and his family had repented. They've turned from their sins and, and believed. They turned to God. They had sorrow for their sin and have a change of heart that turns from sin towards God. Their desires are no longer to continue in the path that they were in, but a path to follow Christ. The fruit of that repentance is the good works that God has called us to do, as Ephesians 2 says. And this was worthy of glorifying God for all that he has done. And what Peter is recounting to those who had, who around them is once again to the answer that question, how are you saved? What is a Christian? It's not by works of man so that no one can boast, but based on faith in Christ, which is a gift. So what came out of that repentance was life. So when the Jewish people we're praising God for how he had granted repentance. It means that God had given Cornelius and his family faith to repent. Meaning they had turned from their sin. They had acknowledged that they had wronged and sinned and rebelled against the holy God. That their only just punishment was hell itself. And we talk a lot about repentance. But I don't know if we necessarily know what it means. 
especially if you grew up in the church. You know, you get this church lingo. Oh, yeah, repentance. Yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. Repentance is about recognition of an offense against God. This is more than just a feeling of being guilty. Judas felt guilty and he be, when he betrayed Jesus. It's, real, it's realizing that you and I are capable and that we deserve blame morally and legally for breaking God's law. We are by nature under God's judgment. It's about turning away from sin and towards God. Now that sounds really poetic, right? So let's flush that out a little bit more. This is all done in light of the gracious offer of mercy, not getting what we deserve, that is laid on the gospel and seek to walk in a new course of obedience to God. See, a repentant life is a changed life. And when the people heard and received, when the Gentiles received the word of God, they were repentant. Thomas Watson put it this way, the two great graces essential to a saint in this life are faith and repentance. These are the two wings by which he flies to heaven. So there's two questions that I need to ask you in light of what Peter is talking about here. Have you repented of your sin and believed in Jesus? And if you have, it's the fruit of your repentance showing. So in verse 15, Peter continues on as he says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them. The outflow of this saving faith was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is something that Peter could hold on to. It's the, it's the, it's the hook by which he could put his hat on. This is the tangible confirmation that the Spirit had come to indwell the Gentiles. What is happening was serving as an external witness of what had happened eternally. This isn't something that can happen without first the Holy Spirit regenerating the heart of the individual so there's true repentance. So repentance isn't about turning over a new leaf. Okay? I just need it. It's a new day. I just need to, I need to do better. It's not about turning over a new leaf. That means that I work harder. That would mean that I save myself. Peter is saying what Gentiles got was God's grace, and it's no different than the grace that he's received at Pentecost. See, for you and I, we see the work of the Holy Spirit in the same way with changed lives. Actions, desires, motivations, and other things that come through as we watch the Holy Spirit continue to change those who believe and believe and, 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 and they are receptions of the Holy Spirit are tied together. We can't separate them. To believe and to receive the Holy Spirit happens at the same time. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you begin to change. That's what we call sanctification. And just as on, and just as on us at the beginning as Peter continues on, he goes back and he brings these people all the way back to the very beginning, to the day of Pentecost when they were up in the upper room and they were praying and the Holy Spirit came down on them and they all began to speak in tongues and like fire on their head and all those things. The Spirit had come to Cornelius and the Gentiles who believed in the message that Peter was preaching. There was no relationship to law at all. They didn't get circumcised first. 
They didn't go, do th- go through a cleansing ceremony first. They believed. And the Spirit of the Lord indwelled them. So for Peter, this is God's answer to the bait. And the argument is now settled. We'll see how he continues to struggle with that later. But it's now settled. So when Peter is saying that they have the same Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who sealed the other believers is now within the Gentiles and without them following the law of Moses. So in verse 17, Peter asks a very legitimate question. If all of this happened, if we saw this with our own eyes, if me and my six other brothers saw this with our own eyes, we see all the outcome. The Holy Spirit came upon them when they believed this word that I preached to them. If God gave the Gentiles who believed the gospel the same Holy Spirit that he and the other apostles received, why should he and the other believers not accept the Gentiles as fellow believers? And this is talking about baptism. This is actually the same verb, stand in the way that we saw with the Ethiopian being baptized. And baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. That's why we encourage baptism, and we love baptisms. That's why we're going to have another one coming up. When Peter baptizes these people, he is recognizing them as those who believe in Jesus Christ for salvation and have received the Holy Spirit. Anyone who has received the Holy Spirit must be allowed to be baptized, is what he's saying. So this is the proof. If all that was said is to be true, how can these people who were once considered outsiders not be insiders if it were not for the sovereign work of God in their lives? God is now expanding his church. The word of the Lord is continuing to increase. And it's going to include all people of all nations, of all tongues, Jews and Gentiles, And there's going to be some growing pains as God continues to grow his church. So if it's not the Mosaic law that saves someone, what does then? As we see in verse 18, as God is the one who grants repentance to all who believe. At the end of the day, this passage is about that one question, what is a Christian? And after hearing what Peter said, they didn't know what to say. Again, right? I think silence would be a proper response. If your whole worldview was crumbling down, what would you do? When they heard these things, they fell silent. But after Peter's explanation, the people of this party didn't know what to say. They had become so perplexed, just as Peter was perplexed, as he first saw the vision of that blanket of all kinds of animals, Someone asked a question, I think it was one of our youth, right? Were there dogs on there? I was like, I don't know. Someone asked me that question. But it was all sorts of things. And that voice comes back again. What God has made clean, do not call common. What is the response to what Peter has said? What can the only response be? They glorified God. 
They gave God the honor for something that only God could do. They acknowledged God to be right in what he has done, who God is, and what God does. What has God given? He has given them the ability of repentance which leads to life. He has given them the gift of faith that allows them to believe. It's why we pray for those people that are in our lives. It's why Pastor Chris in his pastoral prayer prayed for those people in our lives that don't know Christ. Because it's God who gives that. It also frees us up to be more bold with the gospel. Because man, if it was based upon my ability to speak or your ability to speak, we're all in trouble. But God uses our faithfulness. This salvation is only possible by the work of God. So they glorify him. As the word of the Lord continues to increase, then the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life, as he says. And this is an amazing sentence. Who gave repentance? Who ultimately gives life? God is the one who only has the power to change people's hearts so that they can believe in Jesus and be saved. That Jesus Christ died for the sin and rose again. To believe that this is the word of God. This happens when God gives them faith in Jesus and helps us to have sorrow for our sins. As Canadians, we're always throwing around this word called sorry, right? We say sorry for everything. We bump into a wall and we say sorry to the wall. It makes no sense. I'm being facetious, but you know, because it makes no sense. The word sorry means sorrowful. I don't think the wall is sorrowful for you bumping into them. And are you really sorrowful for bumping into someone in the hall? Honestly. But we should be sorrowful for when we sin against a holy God. And the only ability to feel that way is because of Christ or because of the Holy Spirit working within us, giving us a heart to believe that. This happens when God gives us that faith to make us sorrowful for him. And this is called repentance. And once someone has faith and repents, they are a new person who has different wants and and different desires, and they want to follow Christ, and they hate their sin, and they're going to do what what John Owen talks about, mortifying sin. I talk about this with my D group. I love that word, mortify. It means to murder. It's great. Just plummet it to death. That's our attitude towards sin. And God gives us a new heart that enables us to have that desire to do that to our sin. And this means they reject anything that might keep them from being saved. And what is this life that they're talking about? It's not just a future life, but it's a life now. A life with Christ, living for Christ, which also means eternal life. So let's not be quick also to ignore another theme that seems to come up with Luke as he writes through Acts, and this is this unity of the church. The Jewish Christians we see in chapter 11 rejoice over what has taken place, and we will also see this in chapter 15 again. You know, I've been in ministry, I know I'm young, but I've been in ministry for a long time, almost 20 years, in one shape or form or another. I've been called a pastor for like 17. And something that I've seen in myself and in many others, because I was part of the music team in high school. I used to play an instrument. I'm not going to tell you which ones. 
And I just imagine all the things that I spent so much of my time being passionate over, about the music, about looks of things, about whatever it may be. And I just imagine what would happen if I spent more time being passionate about the gospel than music styles or certain programs or programs not happening the way I want or whatever the critique may be. And I'm not the only one. There's not one person sitting in this room who hasn't thought or complained about something not happening their way. But I wonder what would happen if we spent more time being faithful with the message of the gospel than sapping our ability to glorify God when he works. It's like when we read what God is doing, he continues to increase his word, but whatever uh, great advances have ha- been have happened, uh, as the word of the Lord continues to expand, there seems to be some sort of spiritual resistance that happens. It's amazing how when God begins to work in his church, there always seems to be some sort of resistance that follows. Remember, instead of glorifying God, that people were being saved and growing in the grace and the knowledge of God, this particular group of peoples were more concerned with following an old system that pointed to Jesus instead of resting in the new covenant promise that was fulfilled in Jesus. And here's another story of what only God can do. So they rejoice as God even kind of convicts them in that moment. This is the experience of salvation that happens when the sinner has faith in Jesus. So as a Christian, a Christian is one who has repented of their sin and believes in Jesus Christ. A Christian for Peter involves three things. Recognizing Jesus as God's promised Messiah and Lord of all persons' life. It means trusting in Jesus as Savior. What that means is a turning away from an old lifestyle and repentance. It means receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, which gives that person the power to live for the glory of God. Not perfectly, may I add. So what is Christianity? Galatians 5:15 says, "For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. In faith, I come with nothing in my hands, and with outstretched arms of faith holding tightly to Jesus as we see him in the gospel. And even the faith to hold on is a gift. So what you may ask? What does this have to do with us? Well, what does this all mean? Well, let's go back to that first question I started asking you about. How do you respond when someone gets something that you thought you was reserved just for you? See, God the Father chooses us before creation. God the Father redeems us with his blood. And God the Spirit enables us to repent and believe in Jesus. And it will all be God who brings us safely to eternal life with him. When we start to forget that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, it changes how we even pray for other churches. You know, I remember about 15 years ago or so, I was down in Chicago at Moody 
for their pastor's conference with a friend of mine, and we were sitting there in this room, and we were all struggling. I was in a, I was in a more, I was in an old church uh, that was struggling. Uh, he was in a church plant that was struggling. So it didn't matter what side of the spectrum we were on. And I remember a man named Joel Stoll went up there to preach. And I don't remember what he preached about at all. But I do remember his application. As he's sitting up there talking to a room full of pastors, he starts hammering the big church pastors, you know, the big ones that got it all together. He says, hey guys, when was the last time that you were being a blessing to the small church down the street? And I'm sitting there as a small struggling pastor going, yeah, get him, Joel. You got it, preach it. My friend was too. And then he flips it. And this is when I say, oh, you. He says, you small church pastors that are struggling. When was the last time you prayed that God would bless that big church down the street? See, if it's God who calls people and not our works and not all these things, if it's God's church, if it's Jesus who bought this church by his blood, then we should be able to pray for other churches that the word of the Lord may continue to increase. And maybe that doesn't mean here. So what is your response when God begins to use other churches down the street to grow his kingdom? Do you praise God? Do you glorify God? Folks, this isn't your church. This is Jesus' church. He established her. He shed his blood for her. And he will do whatever he wants according to his good pleasure with her. So the question is, are you being faithful? God will take care of the rest. So let's pray that God would grow his kingdom and use all the gospel preaching churches in London. Let us praise God when other churches are baptizing and growing, even when we're not, because there is only one kingdom and one gospel. God chooses, redeems, enables, and brings us to eternal life. And it will be God who will bring us safely to eternal life with him. So we should glorify God because even though that church may be growing, we still get to see God at work. Our job is to be faithful disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. How about another story? I want you to think right now, who is that person you struggle the most with? See, I heard some smirking from over there. What if they had walked through these doors this morning? What if God continues to grow Knollwood and more and more people are getting baptized and coming into membership? What would your response be? And before you go, yeah, we would rejoice, let me bring you back to Acts chapter 11. Because that wasn't the reaction of that church where many Christians thought it was more important to keep things the way they were rather than grow. And we have to have some sympathy because there was, were a lot of changes that were happening and a lot of threatening that may have held, that may have been felt, uh, threatens uh, uh, those things that they held dear being threatened. In an age where there's little respect for the past, when the young discount the wisdom that comes with age, underlining a respect for tradition values is important. But per- traditionalism can be disastrous, as in the case here. 
The members of the church in Jerusalem wanted to preserve the wrong things and were unwilling to expand the right things. So if a church only cares about itself, it will eventually die out. Instead, the church should be a shining light to the world, spreading the message about the gospel. And the church in Jerusalem faced the same questions that every church must ask themselves, whether they are going out being disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ or not. And it's important to be aware of these dangers of being too focused on ourselves and excluding others as, things go, as this goes against the message of the gospel. Because why? God chooses, God redeems, God enables, God brings us to eternal life. And ultimately, I believe God and the word of the Lord will increase. Do you? I believe that the gates of hell will not prevail. I believe that the church is commanded under our victorious commander to storm those gates. And I believe God will rescue souls from the dark kingdoms, the dark kingdom and bring them to the kingdom of light. The question is, will you be faithful soldier in that? Will you be a faithful disciple who makes disciples of Jesus Christ? Because again, it's God the Father who chooses us before creation. It's God the Son who redeems us with his blood. And the God, the Spirit enables us to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And it will be God who brings us safely to eternal life with him. So again, what is a Christian? It's not our traditions that make it or anything else, is God who grants repentance that leads to life. So that allows us to worship God and praise God in all our circumstances when his word continues to increase. How does knowing that God grants repentance change your response to what he is doing? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and how you have specifically revealed yourself to us. We thank you for how you save. And I pray that you would not only spur us on to continue to share the message about Jesus, but also enable us to welcome those who may change the status quo. Lord, may we keep our eyes on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen.